confidential care is here. Um, Rick and Valerie Carr, uh, they're here. Um, and we say we've got a speaker. We don't have a speaker. It's Sunday morning, folks. We've got a preacher, and he's going to preach the word. Uh, we don't want speakers. We want preachers. And um, Rick's going to come and preach the word to us, and I'm going I'm to read his teaching text. We'll read that together. But he's a developmental director at Confidential Care, and he's going to tell you more about that ministry. We give to that ministry. We're partners with that ministry. It's our ministry. We're partners together. And so he's going to share a little bit about that. We know a lot about that ministry. Uh, Reagan, of course, works for that ministry. Um, we also have Michaela's here today from the ministry. Uh, Kathy Waterbury's here. Uh, glad y'all are here and um, blessed to have you. The mobile unit's here, and we're going to learn a lot about their ministry. We would give it a little disclaimer. Uh, we're talking about a, a very serious issue, and an issue that's not um, always nice to talk about. So parents, just uh, we're going to dismiss our, Blake's going to dismiss our kids after our next song uh, before um, Rick comes up to preach. But just know that. It may be some um, difficult things said during the sermon, so just know that uh, as we get ready for this message. Matthew chapter 17. If, you're, if you've got your Black Pew Bible, it's page 978. So, um, 978. Braden, when you get there, raise your hand. I'm going to wait till you get there. Matthew chapter 17. Raise your hand when you get there. Will, you there? You already there? Brent, you got it? James, you with us? All right. Here we go. Get it. Matthew 17. We're going we're gonna to read verses 24 through 18, 14. Now, listen. These guys get up here and preach the text. We're walking through the book of Exodus, and we're taking a pause today. Next week, we'll jump into chapter 30 and 31, but we're reading a lot of text, and they do a great job reading. Today, I get to read because my mind's real short, so I get to read that today. Um, but we read the Bible because the Bible's important. And so I know sometimes we say, hey, turn your Bible, and everybody just kind of, that's the time you just kind of do this right here, but it's going to really help your uh, study experience, your, the teaching time. If you read the scriptures, the scriptures are infallible, they're inspired, inerrant, and it's what how God sanctifies us. So let's read this scripture together. I'm re getting real excited, and I don't get to preach today, so I got a little bit extra in me uh, this morning. But let's read Matthew 17, verse 24 and following. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for, for me and for yourself. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him, a child, he put him in the midst of them and, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame with, than with two hands or feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye cause you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. 
See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven there's angels always see the face of the Father who is in heaven. But do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge your goodness. We're thankful that you brought us here today, and we're excited to learn from your word. We're excited, and we're so thankful just to be able to sing true songs. I'm so thankful for our praise team and them leading us in singing truth. Father, may you use this music this week. May we find ourselves driving down the road or walking through the house or, or through the office singing these, these truths. Father, we ask you to take the message today and use it for the benefit of your kingdom, for the church to be edified and be encouraged and to be rebuked and to be empowered to obey you. And Father, may the lost today hear the gospel and may they, their hearts be pricked. Lord, and may they cry out to you, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Father, may you grant them repentance and faith even today. Pray for Pastor Rick as he comes. Thank you for their ministry. Thank you for their work they're doing. May you bless them. May he, even as he preaches, may he, may he feel your pleasure in his life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Blake. The worship team. Boy, I was blessed this morning, especially when the little ones got up there first. That was wonderful. Well, you're stuck with me as a speaker today. And from where I'm standing, that's a pretty good thing because most of y'all don't know who I am, so your expectations can't possibly be that high, you know. So if I bomb, you, you won't be disappointed. But just so we're friends, let's get acquainted here. My name is Rick Carr, and you are it's really good to meet you. Uh, listen, on behalf of our ministry founder, Lawanda Smith, and one of our original board members, Mickey Thornton, on behalf of our executive director, Kathy Waterbury, who's with us today, and the entire board and staff of Confidential Care Mobile Ministry, thank you for everything that you do for our ministry. We're in a spiritual battle, and we could not do it without the support of churches like yours, and Beaver Baptist is one of the top churches of supporters who pray for us and are engaged with what we do. You have staff members who are here that you feed into every week. And so thank you for everything you do for confidential care. And thank you for allowing us to be with you this morning. You know, my uh, grandpa Mundell, he was uh, hard of hearing, so he didn't really uh, do much interaction with the kids on a conversational level. He just had little sayings. He'd like, beep, beep put that in your pocket. Here, put that in your pipe and smoke it. And he would say these little things. And this is how I grew up with my grandfather. But he had one saying that has really proven helpful to me in this day and age in which we live. I'd say, how you doing, Grandpa? He'd say, inside, outside, upside down. And I'm like, what? Inside, outside, upside down. And man, if that is not a description of the world in which we live today, I don't know of any better one. And if you know one, please tell me. Because our world is inside, outside, upside down. And why is that, church? Because of sin. Well, Pastor, if, if I knew he was going to preach on sin, I might not have come this morning. It's due to sin. The whole earth groans like in giving birth. More and more, the pains are closer. Can you see it? Do you sense it? Do you realize that um, 
this can't be more evident than what we're seeing in the amount of preborn human babies that are ripped from their mother's wombs every day across America, right? Even unbelievers sense that there's just something really wrong going on, and there is. And you know, when you look back to when, uh, in Roe versus Wade in 1973, when abortion on demand was legalized in the United States, since that time, almost 63 million babies have been ripped from their mother's wombs. These are babies created in the image of Almighty God. And that's the world in which we're living. In 2020, in the Mid-South, we're estimating that over 4,000 babies were quietly killed inside of what we call whitewashed abortuaries in the Mid-South. I mean, that should be painful to us to hear those numbers. And it, and it is to us. But listen, church, and listen carefully, it's not just non-believers that are having abortions. One survey of women who were going for an abortion, of that survey, 36% of them said that the first time they had an abortion, the first time, they had been attending church at least once a month in a Christian church. You see, our nation's conscience is being seared as with a hot iron, right? We have um, totally lost our direction of morality based on God's word. Okay, and Christians have been caught up along with it, especially our, our younger believers. Um, we have lost our understanding of what the sanctity of life is. And sanctity means sacredness. It means holy life created in the image of Almighty God. And we've lost it from the point of conception to death. Do you realize at the point of conception, a new human being has been created? And every, all the DNA is there. And all that, will, what will happen from that point forward is growth inside the womb and outside the womb until the time that human dies. And in that DNA, everything's there. Whether the child will be a male or female, whether, how tall the child will be, what color hair it will have, what color eyes it will have, it is all there at the point of conception. And this is why we fight so hard to, for people to understand that life begins at conception, right? And let me just say this as a disclaimer, Pastor, for those of you who are here or maybe listening at some other point who have had an abortion or who have supported someone in abortion, please know that this is not a message of condemnation. We, we need to understand that the gospel message is always, it is always one of pardon, mercy, and grace. God giving us mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Y'all right with that? God giving us grace is giving us things we don't deserve. And, and that begins with pardon, forgiveness of sins as far as the east is from the west. That's the God we serve. That's, the, that's why the message of the gospel is good news, because we can't earn any of that. He gives it to us for free. But listen, church, that being said, it is crucial for we as believers to uh, understand and act in accordance with God's heart on this matter, and that's what we want to do in Matthew chapter 17 through 18. So you can go back into your Bibles. Um, I am reading this morning from the New International Version, so uh, be aware of that. And what I would like to do is I would like to draw out in these passages four actions Jesus modeled 
that believers would do well to understand and adopt. Y'all right out there? All right, this means yes. Y'all right out there? All right, let's do this thing. Number one, Jesus practiced strategic citizenship. Check this out, beginning at verse 24 in chapter 17. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay temple tax? And Peter said, well, well, yeah, sure he does. And I mean, let's put a pin right there just for a second. You can picture this. Jesus and his disciples, if you go back into Matthew, they've been traveling from zip code to zip code, from town to town. They've been ministering. They've been confronting religious rulers. They've been uh, proclaiming the gospel. He did a little fish and chips down by the sea. And I mean, they've been going from town to town to town to town, put a lot of miles on their feet. Uh, I think the argument, Pastor, could be made that Jesus preferred mobile ministry. I'm just saying. I mean, I, I think that could be made. But here they are. They come home, and the temple tax guy comes. He wants two days' wages. Okay, that's what the drachma is. He, he wants, uh, and this is for the, the, the temple tax. Um, this is not the Roman tax. This is just for the temple. And so he catches Peter, and I can, I can imagine Peter getting caught off guard, and he says, Hey, does, does your, doesn't your, your master pay the tax? He's like, sure he does. And, then, and Peter wants to run in and tell Jesus about this. I had a friend who was, his name was Hollis Marr, and he used to, he would be, um, people would say, hey, can you do such and such and make this happen? He'd say, sure we could. Then he'd turn to me and say, how are we going to do that? I can picture this with Peter. Yeah, sure, he pays the tax, and he goes to run into Jesus, but Jesus already knows. Isn't that comforting? And scary all at the same time? Can I get a witness? So he comes in and Jesus says, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And Peter answered, Well, others. And then Jesus said, that Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. And I wonder if Jesus put in a poetic pause right there so that Peter gulped and said, So you're not going to pay your tax? But what was Jesus saying? My father owns everything. He is over authority, over everything. I'm his son. I don't pay tax, right? But so we don't cause a scandal, he said. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open your mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. That's worth four days. Take it to them for my tax and for yours. So Jesus sends Peter out fishing. Now, I want you to understand, you know, there are a lot of people who like to do away with any miracle of Jesus, the whole supernaturalist. Well, no, that's not really what happened. See, Peter was a professional fisherman, so he went down to the shore, he caught a good fish, and he went and sold it and paid the tax. That's not what the Scripture says. You all right there? Valerie and I have been watching... Um, the Outer Banks Blue Tuna. I don't know if any of you have seen this, where they, they go out the Outer Banks in North Carolina and they, and they catch these huge, massive blue tunas and bring them into shore and they get big money for them. And they have this, on the back of the boat, it's like a 40-foot green stick, they call it, that drags a bird on the end and some bait in the middle that bounce and these tuna hit it. And it, you know, they could spend two hours wrestling these fish two, three hours, and then they bring this fish in. Yeah, there's a picture. They bring this fish in and take it into the shoreline, and the folks are there at the docks waiting to weigh the fish, 
and see what the quality of meat is. And some of these fish get ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. Matter of fact, here's a picture of Peter with one of those fish that he caught. Not really, but this you know, this is a bluefin tuna. You can fit a whole money bag in that fish mouth, right? But um, this is not what happened. Peter went down to the shoreline. He caught a fish, and it, and it was a miracle of God. Okay, and he paid for the tax. Look, Jesus and the disciples were Jewish citizens living underneath of Roman law. They had a balance, they had a balance and navigate two sets of laws. They had a balance and navigate two different governments, pay two different kind of taxes, and at the same time as they're navigating that, Jesus and the disciples are walking, they're healing, they're delivering, they're preaching the good news. Jesus is confronting the religious rulers who are putting laws out there that are harmful to the people. He's pushing back, he's pushing back. And all the while, while dealing with all of that, his main focus is to expand the kingdom footprint. You all right out there? Jesus, was he practiced strategic citizenship. You see where I'm going with this? See, Paul tells us that our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, right? Peter said, man, I'm, I'm going to urge you guys to live as aliens and strangers in this world. Jesus, when he prayed the, the real Lord's Prayer, which is in John 17, when he talked to the Father on behalf of his disciples, he said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, because they are not of the world. And he told his disciples what? I need you to be shrewd as serpents and gentle as doves. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus confronts the religious rulers of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, you guys walk around saying you know how to predict what the weather is tomorrow, but you do not recognize the signs of the times around you. And he called them out. Look, as believers, we have to understand the times in which we're living. We can't just bury our heads in the sand. We've got to understand the times. We've got to strategically and lovingly push back against harmful, manipulative laws while advancing the kingdom footprint. You know, our, our uh, executive director, this is her favorite passage, I think, when it comes down to helping people understand God's heart when it comes down to the issue of abortion. It's Proverbs chapter 24, and here's what it says. If you falter in time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards the slaughter. Now, if you say, but we didn't know anything about this, does not he who weigh the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? And will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Listen, church. We have to practice strategic citizenship. We, it, the time to be quiet and just be you know, real quiet and sit on our hands is gone. We cannot sit on our hands and say, oh, well, you know what? When Jesus comes back, he's going to handle all this. Well, now that's, there's no truer statement than that in the world. All right? But if you get to the end of the book and you get into Revelation 12, you will see that it says that they overcome, we as believers, they overcame him, the devil, through how? The blood of the Lamb, the testimony, the word of their testimony, and that they did not shrink back even unto the point of death. Well, listen, 
If your life isn't threatened because you're not saying anything, you're not doing anything for the kingdom, then you've got nothing to worry about shrinking back from, right? We are supposed to be out there being salt and light, preserving healing, touching, delivering. Okay, and when you start doing that, you start getting confronted by the enemy of your, your God who doesn't want you to do that. So if your life is all hunky-dory, we might want to ask ourselves, look, are we practicing strategic citizenship like Jesus did, or are we walking strong in our faith and living out loud? You okay out there? I think it was Winston Churchill once said that when the eagles are silent, the parrots begin to chatter. The parrots have taken over the network, and they've changed the terms of which we understand things. It's time for the eagles to rise back up and speak the truth in love without fear. You all right out there? Okay. Don't shout me down now. You know, Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, we have been called, we're civil lambs, not silent ones. Isn't that good? Like Jesus, we need to practice strategic citizenship. In our lives, in our daily lives, we need to pray. Be informed. It's on us. Be informed. Speak up. Push back. One, one example is that you see the parents who are pushing back at school board meetings. You can do that in a, in a very loving way without getting all ugly, but you push back in the name of Jesus to protect your kids, to stand up for that which is right and pure. And at a minimum, church, at a minimum, vote. Vote locally. Don't wait. Well, I'll wait until the president. No, 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 no. Vote now and find out who you're voting for and make sure that they represent the values that we believe in. Okay? All right, let's move on. I need to hurry. Secondly, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 18, notice that Jesus promoted the status of children. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. In verse 10, he says, See to it that you do not despise or scorn or set aside as unimportant one of these little ones, because I'll tell you how important they are. Their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now that's a verse that we can unpack and talk about, right? The spiritual world in which we live that we don't see that's on behalf of us as believers and on behalf of these kids that Jesus is calling out. That's a beautiful thing to think about, a beautiful thing to study. But we're not sure why the disciples were prompted to say, hey, who's the greatest? might have been because they knew in about a month Jesus was going to uh, be crucified because he helped them understand that. It could have been because Peter got his tax paid for and the other ones didn't. It, it, they had to pay their own tax. It could, could have been that Peter, James, and John got to be on the Mount Transfiguration just a couple of chapters back, and the other guys are like, well, what about us? Why didn't we, what do we get, right? Uh, you know the things that motivate us, right, to find out who's the greatest, who's the best, who's the baddest. Is that not our society? Isn't that how our society functions? I'm the baddest. I'm the greatest. It's like Muhammad Ali. You know, he was the baddest, he was the greatest, right up until the time he met Smoking Joe Frazier. And then he wasn't the baddest anymore. You can be the baddest NASCAR driver uh, right up to the time you tick off Kevin Harvick or Kyle Busch and they slam you into the wall and you're not great anymore, or you age out, okay? And, it's, and, and the world functions on this whole who's the greatest. 
And Jesus calls him out, man. He brings a little kid up and he says, hey, let's, let's, hey, you want to be great? Be like this. Look at uh, verse five. He says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Man, that's a strong statement, is it not? Jesus promoted the status of children because these children had no rights. They, had, they, they, didn't, they didn't have any power. They didn't have anything to offer. He said, and he elevates them. Now, his point is salvific, but he also includes the elevation of the child and of women, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But listen, if you are loving on, parenting, teaching, and leading children, listen, you are doing the Lord's work. It's not some lesser work you're doing if you're not on the pulpit, but you're acting in the back room here working with children because children are really important to God. By the way, if you need a great ministry opportunity, uh, Jesus is waiting for you in the Beaver Kids area, right? And he'll meet you there because anyone who welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And you're busy about the work of the Lord. I don't think we can forget that. What does Psalm 127 tell us? It tells us that, Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a reward, even ones that were unplanned. Are you all right out there? I bet, can I get a witness? Said Any that were unplanned. They're like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. How blessed is the man who has his quiver, the thing you put arrows in, full. Children are important to God, right? And um, for the record, Jesus not only promoted the status of children, but women too, and the weak. He gravitated towards them. Can you imagine how different life would be had Jesus told Mary, no, Mary, Martha's right. You need to get up. Place for a woman's in the kitchen. Can you imagine, had he done that, how different life would be? Do we have roles? Do we have guidelines? What God has called us to do? Yes. But he elevated that which was weak and that which was downplayed and downgraded. And part of it was the elevation of children. So let me ask you this. If to welcome children is, in fact, welcoming Jesus, if to welcome children is, in fact, welcoming Jesus, what is murdering preborn children doing to Jesus? Number three. Let's keep going. Jesus preached the simplicity of a childlike faith. And this is real important especially if you're trying to figure out who you are, who God is, and what this all means. Verses 1 through 4 in chapter 18 tell us, disciples came to us, came to him, asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child, placed him among them. He said, truly, unless you can change and become like one little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, he said, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' primary function here is, and what he's looking at, is the citizenship of heaven, not simplest, simply life on earth. And the, the citizenship of heaven involves all believers of all, over all times, over all places. It includes all of heaven, and now his church, which is being implemented, on earth. And he tells us that if you're going to be in this kingdom, that you've got to become like one of these children. You've got to um, 
lower yourself, you've got to change. And let me say, church, if your faith has gotten to a point where it's all grown up and stuffy, a grown up stuffy adult kind of faith that has matured past wide-eyed belief in the supernatural power and sovereignty of God, then your faith has gone the wrong direction. Because we are to be childlike in our faith towards him. Now, Jesus is not saying that we all act like children, right? And I think that's sometimes more representative of what's happening in the church than not. But that we should see ourselves in relation to life in the kingdom like a little child does on earth. Look, they have no self-generated authority. They have no power. They have no means to provide for themselves. They have no leverage. They have nothing to offer. They're completely dependent and surrendered to their earthly parents and their caregivers. And they just believe, right? They take God at his word, and they take their parents at their word, and they believe what you tell them, right? That's why Frosty the Snowman is so such a great story because the kids just believe what the adults can't see. And God is, Jesus is saying our hearts have got to be like that to come to him. Listen, this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Listen, no matter how smart, how wealthy, how successful or powerful you are on earth, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you change. The word is converted. You got to do a hundred an 80 degree. You got to repent. You got to turn from the way you thought about life and being number one and, and being the best and turn towards him and say, he's number one. He's the best. He's the only way to get to God, right? He's the only way. There's got to be a full commitment of faith that I've got nothing. I'm bringing nothing to the table. It's all about the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. Hebrews tells us, look, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone that comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Y'all right out there? Nicodemus came, a religious ruler, came to Jesus at night. He said, hey, master, man, we know you got to be from God because nobody can do the things you do. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, what? Unless a man is born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And that word means receive new life from above. It's all about what God does, not what we do. We bring nothing to the table. we got to come to him like a child by faith and surrender. And that's the good news of the scriptures, right? John tells us to as many as receive him, to them who believe in his name, to them he gave the power to become Children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor the will of a man, but on the will of God. That's what being born again is all about. Are you all right out there? And listen, I don't know, I don't know you. I don't know where you are. I don't know what brought you here today. I don't know yourself if you're, whether you're saved or not. But I'm telling you right now, this is how you get saved. This is how you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. This is how you transform your life. This is how you gain access into heaven. This is how you turn your whole life around, find forgiveness for your sins, is by faith you come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. I got nothing. I believe in you. And then you follow him with your life. Is there anybody here that's a believer that did it any other way? We all follow that path, right? Amen. We came to the end of ourselves and to the beginning of Jesus, right? And so we need to understand that Jesus, he, he preached the simplicity 
of childlike faith. And it's required for all of us to enter the kingdom of heaven. If your, pew's on the, if your name's on the pew, it doesn't count. It doesn't do anything to get you into heaven. You all right up there? Say yes. Can I give you one more? All right. Jesus, ready? And here's where I'm, here's where I'm drilling down. Jesus protected the sanctity of a child's life and welfare. Look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus said, if anyone, how many? Anyone. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea Man, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's about some serious capital punishment. That's pretty real. A very graphic picture. In verse 7, and listen, this is really important for we as believers to understand when people start saying, well, if God's so loving, why doesn't he do something about this? Right? Look at it, verse 7. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. It's called scandal. Such things, What? must come, but woe to them through whom they come. You know, Jesus, I mean, you got to understand this principle. Just because the world is spinning and it seems out of control, number one, doesn't mean it's out of control because he is still sovereign. Uh, we read, I think it was Psalm 24 today, right? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. He hasn't given that up. He hasn't given any of his sovereignty up. Okay? But he, said, he admits that woe to the world because these things that cause people to stumble, such things must come. Matter of fact, in chapter 24, Matthew, he tells you a bunch of stuff that's coming and says, see now, I told you. I, to I told you. So it doesn't take you by surprise. And we need to understand that principle that just because things are bad doesn't mean that God's not still in control because he is still sovereignly in control. And by like childlike faith, we keep our eyes fixed on him and not on all the stuff that's spinning around us and causing us to fear. Right? You all right there? Okay, stay with me now. We're, we're landing this. All right. I even lost my place. Um. Right after this warning, Jesus jumps in and, he, and he, he warns individuals, look at these, look at these words. He says, "Such things must happen, but woe to them through whom they come." And he, and, he, and he gets real sharp here. He says, "If you're the person through whom they're coming, if your hand offends you, if your foot offends you, cut it off because it's better to go and, to go, no, no, not going to hell. It's better to go and, and cut that arm and leg off. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out because it's better to have one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the pit of hell. These, I mean, this is, this is tough language against the heinousness of sin, and he's directing it in light of children, right? Of children, especially those who believe. Listen, and let me just say this. If you're the person bringing harm to a child... Jesus saying, change your direction before it's too late. Repent. Stop. Stop. If you're performing abortions, stop. 
If you're harming children behind closed doors, stop. Change your direction now before it's too late. That's the warning from Jesus. And to be true to God's word, we have to proclaim it. Well, let me show you some things about the heart of God when it comes down to the subject of sanctity of life. And, and, I'm, and I'm finishing here. Ezekiel chapter 16. Beginning of verse, you remember Ezekiel was the prophet that was sent to Babylon when, when, it, when they were deported and he was trying to call the people out of the world and to continue to follow God. And verse chapter 16, verse 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices. And, and that word there is abomination. Confront them about their abomination. Well, what was the abomination he was talking about? Well, among other things, he said in verse 20, You took your sons and daughters, whom you bore to me, and you sacrificed them as food to idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to idols. In Psalms 106, beginning of verse 37, the psalmist said, They sacrificed, or slaughtered is the word, they slaughtered their sons and daughters to demons. It says false gods, but it's demons. We are in spiritual warfare here, folks. And what's happening with the abortuaries, what's happening with the killing of the babies, is spiritual warfare. We've got to understand what's going on. To win that battle is not going to be done through simply pragmatical efforts. We've got to be praying and surrounding this issue in prayer and seeking God to intervene because they're shedding innocent blood and the blood of their sons and daughters they're sacrificing to the idols of Canaan, Canaan and the land is desecrated by their blood. They defile themselves by what they did and what they're doing. You know, in Proverbs 31, King Lemuel, his mom, gave him some advice before he became king. And in verse 8, she says, Speak for those who cannot speak for themselves, for those who are being led, who are destitute, or being led to destruction. Jesus was very clear. The devil comes, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he came, why? That they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So then as you see, you get, as we end this chapter or end, end this section, chapter 12, I mean, verse 12 through 14, Jesus says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders, will he not leave the 99 and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, he's truly, uh, if he finds it truly, I tell you, he is happier than the one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. And then verse 14, in the same way, all out search for this one child, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. And that's, I think that's a dual, based on this whole context, not just spiritually. He would that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. It also comes down to the, to the sanctity and the sacredness of these individuals' ch children's lives. I believe very clearly the scriptures teach us that Jesus is pro-life. 
and that we should be too. I believe this is the heart of Jesus concerning children. And you know, I think our forefathers recognized this, and that's why they, set, they, they wrote this song, and, I, and it's, it's still true, that Jesus loves, what? The little children, all the children of the world. And be careful here, red and yellow and black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Amen? You see, this is why every day, every day of every work week, and sometimes on Sunday, Confidential Care Mobile Ministry sends out medical mobile units with medical ministry teams to the four corners of Shelby and Tipton in order to intervene with women who predominantly are planning to abort their children or are vacillating or undecided. If they're planning to carry their child, we want them to do that. We'd like to hand them off to another pregnancy resource center who can continue to disciple them. But we are really feeling passion that we have got to stop and rescue those that are being led to the slaughter. And while you're praying for us and while you're giving, you're riding with us every day. You go to your job, but because you're praying for us, because you're supporting us, you're on that mobile unit with us. And we together as the church are going into the highways and byways literally and compelling these women to come in to rescue these children and to love their mothers into the kingdom. What a mission, right? What a battle. And let me just give you some statistics. Last year, um, we interacted with 969 women around this issue, but either face-to-face or through our tele-care system. 511 appointments on these medical units last year. Of those 511, 451 of those women were either planning to abort their child or they were wrestling with whether they should or whether they shouldn't. And God placed us there with them. And as a result of that, as a result of that, our ministry teams were able to rescue 269 preborn human babies. That's significant. That's significant. But it's not enough. Can you understand? It's not enough. We need more. We need more units. We need more ministers. We need more prayer. We need more people engaged in this battle who are speaking up in their circles of influence and saying, no, this is not right. Because Jesus loves the little children, and we should too. You all right out there? So I'd just like to say thank you again. Pastor Shane, thank you for bringing the leadership church, family, thank you for being on board with Confidential Care Mobile Ministry, and thank you for allowing me to share God's heart of what I believe uh, Jesus' position is regarding the issue of abortion, because in these days, people say, well, what would Jesus do? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus would do. He would vote pro-life. You all right? Can we pray together? Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day and your goodness. Lord, this is kind of a difficult subject to have to talk about. Lord, when we look at uh, the, the uh, passage in Jude, the, the, gospel, the uh, epistle of Jude there, it says, I wanted to come and talk to you about our, the good things of our faith, but I felt that I needed to tell you and remind you that we need to contend for the faith. And Lord, it's a little bit more difficult to talk about things like that. We're contending for human babies' lives, preborn human babies who cannot speak for themselves. And we're trying to redirect their moms and lead their moms into the kingdom. And so much 
Lord, is happening in this world surrounding this issue. Lord, we now know and are without excuse what your heart on these matters is. And Lord, I pray that we will adopt your heart as it comes down to these babies and that we will be found faithful in pre preaching and speaking the truth in love and doing everything we can to preserve life that brings you glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Appreciate you, Rick. We, so application-wise, what do we do? That's what, one of the things we do here at our church every week. We give application. We ask the Lord to give us grace to leave these doors and apply what we've learned. And so we, we, we want to do what we've just been taught to do is to practice strategic citizenship. And so we have the opportunity to speak up and to vote and to make a difference. We do. We do that responsibly. Um, but we also want to protect the sanctity of a child's life. We want to promote children's ministries, and we want to... Um, we want to give so this, these folks who are uh, doing this every day, they're on the streets, they're in, engaging with women who are planning on, thinking about allowing someone to take their unborn baby's lives. We want to be involved in that. We want to give. And, and we are. We're giving and we're supporting. And one thing... Rick, I'll tell your whole team, when, when we were overseas, we were IMB missionaries in, in East Asia, and our home church, um, we lived in Louisville, and so we had a home church there, and I was constantly trying to get our pastors there. I was like, hey, look, just on Sunday night, I know Sunday morning is really important, and it's, it's busy, and you got a lot going on, but Sunday night, when you have your Sunday night worship, just put our picture up on the board. Put a picture up there for the church because those people really love us and they care for us and they get our newsletter and they know what's going on. But if you put our picture up there, what it's going to do is it's going to bring our needs to their remembrance and then they're going to pray more. And they're going to pray for our people more and pray for the needs here in our city more. And they just never could get them to do that. And, uh, and so here at Beaver, that's what we want to do. We're doing that every week, right? We have a missions moment. So I'm going to tell you, I've already said this to Rick, anytime you want to be able to come and, and give a report and, and ask for uh, help or um, let us know what's going on need-wise in this ministry, we, we have a, it's open invitation. Reagan, it's your responsibility to bring that. There's no reason why every fourth or fifth week we shouldn't be hearing about confidential care and what the Lord's doing to this ministry. You've got an open invitation, so we uh, want you to do that. But we want to be a part. We want to be a part of what you're doing. And um, we're excited about these, uh, these babies that are being saved uh, day in and day out. T tomorrow's Monday. How many appointments do you have Monday off the top of your head? Do you know? No. Seven, eight. Seven, eight. Ten. seven to ten. They're at seven and ten. And what's happening to these ladies, they're engaging these, these women who are planning on uh, uh, having their babies aborted. So tomorrow, seven to ten um, mothers are going to be engaged with the gospel. They're going to be loved on. They're going to be taught from the Word of God um, what God's desire and will is for their babies' lives and for their lives. Isn't that amazing? I'm excited that our church has been a part of that. I'm, I'm so thankful Lawanda, um, for Lawanda, for Mickey and their work in this ministry. So what I want to do, just by way of closing, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Come on up. We're going we're gonna to end uh, with a benediction. They're going to sing us out of here. The mobile unit's here. 
um, I'm going to ask if everybody, when, we, when we're done, if you would, um, we have some going to be in the mobile unit, and then Reagan, Rick's here, um, Kathy's here. Y'all come up here and just answer questions. If you have questions, I know you probably have questions. We're not going to do answering question, time, uh, question and answer time. They're going to be here to answer questions. And then go out in the mobile unit and see what they're doing. They explain what goes on. Um, so uh, we'll have that time. But let's just pray right now, and then we're going to sing um, a song uh, by way of benediction. But let's just pray right now for not only these these missionaries, these ministers, but let's pray for those those five, seven, ten mothers that are going to be um, that are going to encounter the gospel tomorrow. Okay, let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your goodness in our lives. We acknowledge that we are saved because of your grace and mercy. Father, you've called us out of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of your Son, and that's 100% your work. And we're so thankful, Father, for that. And as a result of your work, we're humbled that you would choose wayward sinners like us. We're thankful for the, the sin debt that's been paid on our behalf because of what Christ done on the cross. We're so thankful for his death. We're so thankful for his resurrection. Father, we are so thankful for these ministers who are day in and day out doing your work, working with these young mothers, seeking to win them to Jesus and save these babies' lives. Father, we pray for the team. We ask for your blessings on their life. Father, I pray that today you would help them live their lives in a way that pleases you. Father, that you would discipline them as, as a father disciplines their child when they're wayward. Father, I pray that tomorrow morning they wake up and they draw near to you. Lord, they don't forsake that time with you in your word and prayer. May they yield to you. May they put on the armor. And may you use them in a mighty way tomorrow to speak clearly, to teach faithfully. Father, may they not only sense your pleasure as they use their gifts and they serve you, but Father, may you soften the hearts of those five to ten mothers that are going to be encountered tomorrow. And Father, we're asking not only that these babies be saved, but these mamas yield their lives to Jesus. Thank you for this ministry. Thank you for how it's been birthed. All those that have been influential and instrumental in its beginning and in its continuing and its growth. Father, bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us and we'll sing a song.